The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownandCountrySolutions.com. Fearing nothing but God. I want to welcome you back into the program. Beyond the Game brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions at BTG Program or btgprogram.com. Tim Hiller is a former NFL quarterback. He's also co-owner of Next Level Performance and the author of the book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. It's my pleasure now to welcome Tim back into the program. Tim, I'm so glad you could join us. Hi, Rick. Thanks for the opportunity. I had to call you because as much as I enjoy talking sports with those guys, when it comes to talking about college football, I might as well be talking with the pre-K Sunday school class at our church. (laughs) And last weekend was just, I mean, it was billed as the greatest opening weekend ever, and it, and it certainly didn't disappoint. A number of upsets, LSU, UCLA, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, all going down in week one. And I can't leave out Northwestern, who of course lost to your alma mater, Western Michigan. Were any of those upsets more or less surprising to you than the others? You know, it, it, first of all, you're right. It was such an amazing, probably the best I can remember in the last you know, five, six, seven years uh, opening weekend. And, you know, I think one of the things that we're seeing here is just some of the parity in college football and some of the, the, the talent that is all around the country and the ability, you know, to recruit. I mean, playing at a, a Mac school like Western, um, I think where you see the difference between, you know, like a Michigan, a Michigan State, a Notre Dame, and a Western is really when you look at like the second and third string and the consistency of talent that those bigger programs are able to have from top to bottom. But you look at first string to first string, really across the country there's a lot of of, um you know even talent across the board i think for me probably the biggest surprise uh, of all those games you mentioned was was probably the lsu game um not that wisconsin can't play with them and boy they certainly were rewarded in the rankings this week as as they moved up drastically but um you know paul chris is a great offensive mind i've always been impressed with him from afar and uh i've loved his offense and the things that he, he does but just a disciplined steady run game strong defense and then forcing you know LSU with an inexperienced quarterback to make some mistakes and uh, they really stuck to their guns and played very well so I think that was a surprise to me I, I kind of figured it would be a track meet and Leonard Fournette would really take off um, but you, you, you see slow and steady win the race and they really um, played their brand of football and stuck to it and it paid off. For those teams like LSU, Oklahoma or Notre Dame who may have all been entertaining thoughts of a national championship does a week one loss completely take them out of contention? You know, I think it's an interesting question. I think if, if honestly, if you're going to lose a game, I think what better week to lose it than week, in week one against a strong opponent? I mean, you look at like uh, a Notre Dame, for example, and, you know, Brian Kelly's a great coach. When I was in college, we had the opportunity to, to play against him when he was at Central Michigan and then again in a bowl game when he was at Cincinnati um, as he was kind of on his coaching climb. And if you look at a team like that, they're going to be great. They're going to bounce back. I think Kaiser looked really really strong throughout the whole game their defense you know had moments of of brilliance and moments of struggle but if if you look at a team like notre dame i mean this is a win uh, a loss that really they can bounce back from with some wins in the coming weeks i've got some tough games ahead of them but if they do it here early on with a couple of their next opponents i mean they'll be right back in the the hunt towards the end of the year and so i think you know if you're going to do it and and you're going to lose a game um what better timing than to do it early in the year get your ducks in a row and get back on track so i don't think it totally removes you um but for these Schools and power, you know, power five conferences, they've really got to get back on track uh, in the league. And so LSU, for example, has to win some games in the SEC, I think, to prove themselves again. I'll bring it up now. I know it's the season's barely underway. 
if an early season loss does impact the team's chances at a title, how do you keep those teams in contention longer? I mean, that's why they came up with the wild card in baseball. Wouldn't an expanded playoff system do just that? You know, I think it would. I mean, it's it's an interesting question. You know, I, I tend to look at it more from the player's co- uh, point of view, not necessarily, you know, an athletic director's point of view or a journalist's point of view. But if, if you look at it from the player's point of view, the only concern I have is that you begin to look at the wear and tear and the length of the season. I mean, in, in the NFL, you're looking at a 16-game season plus four preseason games, you know, that a, a starting, you know, star player is going to play in two and a half to maybe three of those games. And then you look at a playoff run. I mean, you can easily play um, – 20, 22 games, and that's a long season. And so when you begin to look at the college football season, of course, we don't have any any preseason, but, you know, you play that 12-game season, a conference championship, and then a few more playoff games, and, and all of a sudden you're knocking on the door 16, 17 games. So I think there's, there's caution that needs to be exercised in terms of um, wear and tear on these players' bodies and, and all the things that they're going to, you know, be put through. But in the same breath, I do think the expanded playoff would allow um, more teams to have the opportunity to – really play for what they deserve. I mean, quite frankly, how do you how do you narrow it to four? I mean, last year, um, those those fifth, sixth, seventh teams, those on the bubble, um, where every bid is deserving, it's it's just really hard to to, to pick the, the best, you know, four teams in the country. I think last year the, the committee got it right. I think last year it went really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years, but I, I definitely think you could maybe see that field expand in the next couple of years to, to eight um, or maybe even 16. I've always thought eight was the right number. You know, there's so often teams that finish ranked fifth or sixth or seventh that maybe have a have a you know an outside claim to that that, that number one spot. But by the time you get down to nine or ten or even eleven, these are schools that usually don't have that that claim of a number one. Sure, and I think you have to look a lot at you know some of the things you mentioned. I think uh, you know certainly being in the hunt for a conference title or winning you know the east or west or north or south division of a conference. Um, certainly looking at strength of schedule and strength against um, some of the Power 5 conferences, and, and then also looking at strength of non-league schedule. I think that if you look across some of these um, SEC schools and some of the non-league games that they're playing, I mean, you know, Alabama showed their dominance, but against a team in USC that, that frankly will make some noise and, and be pretty good this year, even though they're, they had their share of challenges um, over the weekend. So I think that you're you're really absolutely right, Rick. You're spot on. I think that, that teams can be rewarded in a number of ways. But I think if you look at the whole picture, the body of work, who they played, and and um, their performance over the course of the year, I think there is grounds over the next couple of years to maybe expand that that field to eight and see what happens. You know, you brought up Alabama, and they won big, as did Ohio State and Michigan. Meanwhile, other teams like Tennessee, Clemson, Florida State, they sort of squeaked by. Can we read anything into that? Teams that won by large margins or these teams that barely pulled it out? You know, it's a good question. I think that um, certainly those teams that won big, like you, you referenced, um, especially I think Alabama's win was incredibly impressive, just the, the dominance on both sides of the ball. Um, Ohio State looked strong as well, started a little slow, but then really picked up steam in their offense, and T.J. Barrett looked great. I think you look at wins like that, and certainly um, they put up some style points. But, you know, having, again, I, I divert back to the player's perspective, it, it's hard to win in college football. It's hard to win consistently. A lot of times early in the season, the defense is ahead of the offense. Uh, a lot of these teams perform better on the defensive side of the ball where the offense, you, know, you have a great quarterback, but you're breaking in a couple of young linemen, you're breaking in a new wide out, a new running back, and you see, you see glimpses of, of um, what can be and their full potential, and then you see glimpses of a young, young player's mistake uh, early on in a game. And so I think that at this point in the year, um, I don't think it's time to ever hit the panic button yet if a team squeaks by. I think a win is a win. 
Um, certainly you can go back to the drawing board and, and work on some things and feel better about the next week and have that next opportunity, but um, I, I don't read into it too much, no. We're talking with Tim Heller of Next Level Performance. He's also author of the book Strive. You can follow Tim on Twitter at TimHiller3 or online TimHiller.com. Uh, you know, looking over the landscape of college football, and you mentioned how dominant Alabama's win was, is it really Alabama and then everybody else? <laughs> it's a great question. You know, I think what I admire the most about Alabama is just their their sticking to a strategy. I mean, Nick Saban has built a brand of football that's all his own, and it's really centered on speed, toughness, and physicality, playing great defense, and having a solid run game. And you look at you know Kirby Smart going to Georgia and having some new coordinators on both sides of the ball over the last few years, and they still pick up and, and continue on, even if they're running a different offensive system. And it's because of those four pillars of, again, that speed, that physicality, that great defense, and having a strong running game that really sets the foundation of their offense. Um, they have success and they recruit to that strategy, regardless of who's calling the plays. And it really you know, begins with Nick Saban. So I, I think if you look at the big picture, is it Alabama and everybody else – I wouldn't go so far to say that. I think I think they're a darn good team. I think right now they really are the best and most well-rounded team in the country. It'll be really interesting to see how that um, holds up as they get into the SEC schedule and, and play in conference play. But um, I really think there are some other impressive teams out there. But I think those are really winning formulas. You know, I, I look at um, Clemson, great great team, great program, had a tremendous run last year. Deshaun Watson is one of the best and most dynamic athletes in the game. Um, it's a little bit more of a finesse style. And, you know, I I'm a little partial, a little biased. I grew up in the Midwest. I, I love um, I love the Mac, certainly. I played in it, but I, I love the Big Ten as well. And there's something to be said for a strong run game uh, that can be downhill, hard-nosed, um, set up the play-action pass. And Alabama does that really well. And in today's you know spread era, um, we don't see as many teams doing that as well. And so I think that's where schools like, uh, you know, we looked at Wisconsin and we saw how physical their run game was. I mean, that wins games and it wears down good defenses. And so I think that Alabama's onto something special. I don't think it's a you know them ahead of the pack and everybody else, but I do think right now they they look like the team to beat. You certainly um, are able to identify w- winning formulas. You mentioned that Alabama has with next level performance. You train student athletes while teaching and developing leadership skills to help them succeed at really whatever it is they're called to do. You wrote a piece the other day, which can be found on your website. Again, that's timhiller.com. From the opening weekend of college football, you were able to pull out some examples of leadership lessons. How about that, Tim? Can you share some of what you wrote about? Absolutely. No, I uh, I felt really inspired coming away from you. I love to write. You mentioned the book and, and do a lot of speaking. And the next level, we, we train athletes on the field, but a devoted portion of every training session or team session uh, is that leadership and character piece. And so I was really uh, blown away by kind of the three P's of leadership that I think are really important, and, and those are patience, persistence, and then presence. And, and I really was inspired by three stories over the weekend that, um, you know, tied into each of those. And so the first one around patience um, was, was with Tyrone Slopes and, uh, you know, or Tyrone Slopes, excuse me, and Tyrone, of course, the, you know, former starting quarterback at, at Texas. And you think about um, a guy like that who's been a program guy heading into his last year, um, has his job taken away by a freshman in Shane Bruchel, who looked amazing and, and played really well, showed a ton of poise. And yet this guy just, you know, patiently waits his turn as a team guy, never thought about transferring, and, and runs for two set, or three touchdowns, actually, and including the game winner uh, in double overtime. And just, just a great story of, of, of patience and perseverance there. Um, you know, around persistence, um, I had to call out uh, the, the star running back from Pittsburgh, 
um, uh, James Conner, who really, you know, has, has been a model of, of persistence and, and just overcoming the odds. You know, early on had a great start to his career as a freshman. As a sophomore, was a first-team All-American, I think the first in over 25 years since Ironhead Haywood at, at, at Pittsburgh, and just had a stellar uh, first couple years. And then he opening game of the 2015 season as a junior, tears his MCL, misses the whole year, and then if that's not enough, in December of that year, he's diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so, um, you know, he just makes a vow publicly, says, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to be back, and just got a standing ovation when he took the field at, at Heinz Field this Saturday and a win over Villanova, had two touchdowns. And, I mean, you think about a kid overcoming cancer, um, you know, three or four months after being cancer-free, uh, came out, took the field, and had a great game, scored two touchdowns. Just an incredible, incredible story. Uh, and then the final one, just around presence, you know, one of the things that I believe about leadership is that a leader's presence, um, a leader's legacy is really that legacy is defined by their presence in their absence, their presence in their absence after they're gone, what kind of mark have they made. And uh, sadly, we lost, uh, college football lost a young man named Sam Fultz, who was a punter uh, at Nebraska heading into the end of his career. He was an instructor at a Coles kicking camp, which is a nationally known camp in Wisconsin, and, and died in a tragic car accident. And um, boy, just taking the field in that first fourth down of the game against Fresno State without a punter, um, I just I, I cried my eyes out. I mean, it was an incredible uh, scene to see the standing ovation, to see them take the field with 10. And then in even classier fashion, Fresno State declined the penalty. It was just a really cool moment um, to see them honor their fallen hero. And I think it really showed the impact that he had beyond the game. And, and that was really the point of the post is that, you know, there's so much more than just what takes place in the field. And that's what we are trying to stress at next level and, and stress with all of our athletes that we have the pleasure of working with and training is that, you know, you're a person beyond the game. You have gifts and talents. And, and I think those three stories really exemplify um, what's good and right in college football. You do a great deal of public speaking, and you find yourself in front of church groups and youth groups all the time. How are some of those leadership lessons which we learn in sports, how are they able to be applied to our own personal walks with Christ? It's such a great question. You know, I think um, one of the things that, that I see in, in terms of a team environment and when kids, are competing as a student-athlete is, is so often um, the world of sports and the world of achievement uh, encourage us and tell us that it's all about ourselves, that, that we need to get the stats, we need to get the scholarship, we need to be a starter, we need to achieve these things. And it's, it's even further driven by our media and by our social media and um, this sense of you know notoriety and accomplishment that all athletes um, feel this, I think, pressure to pursue. And, and rather, when we take a backseat um, to God's will for our lives, when we take a backseat to the goals of our coaches, of our team, um, and those type of things and really put that first and make it an objective to fill a role. I think Tyrone um, Swoops is a great example of that in the sense that, you know, he could have transferred easily and probably gone and, and went and played somewhere else. And he, the willingness to ride it out, accept and own his role and put the team ahead of him, uh, himself and his personal objectives is just a tremendous example of some of the lessons we can learn in, in sports. But really they apply in the workplace. They apply in our families. I think about you know, so often the teammates you play with, um, you have respect, you have friendships with many of those in a, a given team, a given locker room, but you didn't necessarily choose them. And I think you, you enter the workplace and you enter uh, into the world that we live in, and you wouldn't necessarily choose to work with some of your coworkers or live by some of your neighbors, but there's this element of love and compassion and trust um, that, that we want to have with other people in our lives and in our, our walk with, with Christ as we seek to make an impact on them. And I think that um, all these lessons and more, overcoming adversity, overcoming challenges, mental toughness, serving others, making a difference with the platform athletics provides. The, end, the lessons are endless that we can learn um, from the game that we play, whether it be football or another sport. And so I'm just very passionate about sharing that 
that reality and that perspective with student athletes and helping them to see that, you know, someday the game's going to end. And when it does, you're well equipped to, to do life well, to live your faith well, um, to make a difference in the world using your other gifts and talents. And you're in a better position because you were an athlete. Um, and so we really want to just focus in on that and, and help kids understand that. That's good stuff, Tim. Always so good to talk to with you, my friend. How can we pray for you? Oh, thank you. I always in the need of prayer, and uh, you know, I think lately uh, the Lord has, has been so good. But it really, in the, in the busy season of life, we have we've been blessed. My wife Michelle and I have a 15 month old at home, and um, a lot going on at you know work professionally, and some of these opportunities that uh, you've aforementioned, and it's a blessing. But also just just I would ask for prayer for strength to, to be a, a great dad, a great husband, and um, to keep God first and, and family a close second um, before some of these endeavors. It's it's challenging sometimes and, and, and hard work to, to preserve that, but it's so important, and um, I just appreciate your prayer in that, and always a pleasure to be on the show. You can find out more about Tim, timhiller.com. Follow him on Twitter, at timhiller3. Read the book, Strive, Life is Short, Pursue What Matters. He's the co-owner of Next Level Performance, a former NFL quarterback and just a friend of the program. Tim, thanks again for coming on with us this morning. My pleasure, Rick. Take care. We still got more to do coming up after the break. I hope you'll stick around. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country, Pest Solutions.